Glad you're here today. Hey, we're in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 through 28. We're talking about moments, moments in life. Peter had a moment. The disciples had a moment. Jesus is going to have a glorious moment. We'll expound on that next week at the Mount of Transfiguration, where he tears open his, 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 his external and his glory will shine through. That'll be an interesting teaching next week. Before we get started, I would like you to take just a few seconds, 15 seconds now. I'm getting better at this because I'm counting on my fingers when 15 seconds. So you timers out there, and it's only 8 seconds or 10 seconds, I'm timing. So do your introspection, okay? Get ready to receive from God. God has something specific for you today. Know that. Know that. He knows where you're at. He knows what you've been going through. He knows your needs, and he knows something in this text today will be appropriate for you. 15 seconds, cast the world aside and focus on our God. Father, as we prepare our hearts to receive from you today, I ask that your spirit will be poured out upon this place. Lord, you are the one that illuminates your word. You are the one that brings it to our hearts and puts it in our minds and changes our character and life. So, Lord, help us to receive from you today the things that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we read the word of God together. We honor God by standing when we read his word. Matthew chapter 16, 21 through 28. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of God. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, again, we ask you to do your work in the hearts and minds of each one of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know, the theme of Matthew is, Jesus is the promised king. And I cannot tell you how thankful that one day Jesus will come and all of this mess will be put into order. Things will be made right when the king comes. But in the interim, we're living here. In moments, moments that come up. Now, you know where we've been. Jesus has been at Caesarea Philippi. And on that mountain, mountain face, that rock face, were the pan gods engraved into the mountainside. And people were going there to worship. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and say, Who do you say the Son of Man is? And they answered, Some say Jeremiah, some say Elijah, or one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? And Jesus, and, and Peter answers this way, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then Jesus goes on to talk about, upon this rock, I will build my church. And we spend some time talking about what the rock is. The rock is not Peter. The word Peter is Petra, little stone. And the word rock that was used in that text was Petros, huge rock face. And again, playing off the rock that he was looking at, the rock face. And then he says, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom, Peter. And remember what those keys were. They were to open salvation to each people group, Gentiles, Samaritans, Jews. Actually, it's Jews first and Gentiles and Samaritans. And uh, Jews, Samaritans, and delay. <laughs> Jews, Samaritans, and Gentiles. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so anyway, that's where we're at. The discipleships are in training. They're, they're getting final revelations about who Jesus is as the Messiah. They're going to be realizing more and more who he is, who he is. So we pick up our teaching today in verse 21, Matthew 16, 21. Messiah's instruction moment. And he tells them specifically, actually, again, I must die. So verse 21, from that time, now that's significant because this is a, a time of change in Jesus's ministry. He had been focusing more and more on the disciples, but he was still ministering to groups of people. But from this time forward, he's going to be ministering more and more heavily with his, heavily with his disciples. They have six months left before the cross. And he's going to be investing his last days with them. From that time, he began to show his disciples that he must, must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. Now, you know, and I know that Messiah had a mission. He had a mission, a specific mission. It was to die for the sins of the world. Luke 19.10 says this, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That was his, it was his mission. He didn't come to be popular, although he was popular at the beginning. That popularity waned towards the end where there was none, almost none following him at the very end. John was at the cross and some of the women, but everybody else deserted him, including his disciples. He also came to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3, 8. Jesus's message began with, come and see, come and see the Messiah. And now the message changes to, Go and tell. Go and tell the world about Messiah. Tell them the truth about who Jesus is. We know Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. Finally, the disciples are getting it. They're getting it. Jesus came to die. The kingdom's not going to come now, folks. The kingdom will come. Now, next week at the Mount of Transfiguration, they think the kingdom's coming again. They keep reverting back, reverting back. And Jesus is going to say, no, no, he has to die first. The disciples have been programmed, indoctrinated by their Jewish culture as to what Messiah would do. Messiah would be a political leader. Messiah would be a great military leader, but he wasn't going to be the one that sacrificed himself for the sins of the world. They did not consider the Messiah to be God. They did not consider Messiah to be anything uh, other than the political or military leader. So the disciples have been programmed. They had to be deprogrammed. For three and a half years, Jesus is actually deprogramming them from their past thoughts. Those who follow Jesus, now they had to learn this and we have to learn this. Those who follow Jesus will live forever. 
Those who embrace him will live in his presence forever. Those who reject him will will live separated from him forever. There has a moment, folks. And a moment was when Jesus comes into your life. He came to seek and to save the lost. When you said yes to Jesus Christ, you had the moment of moments of moments in your life. More significant than anything else that ever occurs. That moment you said yes to Jesus Christ. Moments. Death must occur, folks, before glory will come. This, we must put off this. And and you know what? I'm looking forward to putting this off. I don't look forward to the process. I'm not looking for that whole thing about death. Death is not enjoyable to go through for sure. But I'm looking forward for the outcome when I get my glorified body. And don't miss Jesus' statement. He said he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. Isaiah 53 gives confirmation of this. This is actually a fulfillment of prophecy. 53, 4, it says he was smitten by God and afflicted, Messiah. 54, 5, the Lord has laid on him, Messiah, the iniquity, the sins of us all. Verse 10, it pleased the Lord to crush his son. Now, why did he do that? He did it for us, folks. He loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son to die for us. Then Jesus will go before the Sanhedrin, and he will go before the 70 council members, the great Supreme Court of Israel, and he'll be thoroughly rejected by the nation of Israel, by its leadership. Messiah is giving his disciples an instruction moment. And I would suggest to you, when Jesus gives you instructions, what do you do? Are you going to heed or are you going to ignore? No, you're going to heed. You want to heed the instruction. Now, Peter's going to have a moment. Peter's going to have a moment. Die? Not on my watch, Jesus. Now, who does Peter think he is? Now, he's going to rescue Jesus somehow from this, from this fate. 22 and 23, we read these verses. Then Peter took him aside, took Jesus aside. This is beyond imagination. And began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. What is intimated here? I will see to it that this doesn't happen to you. I'm the big fisherman. I'll come to your protection, Jesus. This is hubris. This is arrogance that's off the charts. But he turned and said to Peter, now Jesus is going to straighten him out, get behind me, Satan. Now, you remember the word Satan, the Satan, the adversary. You are acting as the adversary, Peter. You're acting contrary to what God wants. You're looking at what you want. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, this is the same Peter that just a few verses earlier, a few moments earlier, was receiving accolades from Jesus. You know, you, you have said, Peter, you are Simon Barjona. You are right, and upon this rock I'll build my church. You have indicated right who I am, that I am Jesus the Christ. And he had these accolades, and now he's going to experience his downer moment, how quickly we can go from the pinnacle to the pit in just a moment. I don't know if you've experienced that in your life, but I bet you have. I bet you have. Peter does an amazing thing. He takes Jesus aside and he rebukes him. Now, in case you don't know what rebuke is, I'll tell you what it means. It means rebuke, censor, admonish, reprimand sternly. 
Here you have Jesus, or Peter reprimanding Jesus. Can you imagine this? They're created reprimanding the creator. That's an astounding thing. Jesus created the world Peter lives in. Remember Colossians 1.16, all things were created through him and for him, and by, all him, by him all things are made. In John chapter 1.3, says this, through him all things were made, Jesus, and without him nothing was made that has been made. You have Peter rebuking the creator, an astounding thing. Jesus determined Peter's dash, his entrance point, his life, his exit point. And then Peter, in his hubris, is going to rebuke the creator. Jesus determined the way Peter would exit the earth. Jesus, in some strange way, listen to this one. This is, this is strange. He knitted Peter together in his mother's womb. How do I know? Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. is going to come up on the screen. Hear this. Speaking of God, which Jesus is God. He is the creator. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. This is David speaking. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. My dash was written in your book, when as yet there was none of them. And this person, Peter, is going to save the creator who came here for a purpose. Can you imagine? The, 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 it must have been stunning to Jesus, just stunning. That he said this, Peter is having something that we all get from time to time. It's called a pride attack, a pride moment. And Jesus straightens Peter out right quick. Get me behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. Peter was trying to save Jesus. Peter was thinking that he's coming to Jesus' rescue. For you, and Jesus says, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Let that register with you. We must be mindful of the things of God, not the things of men. Be mindful of the things of God. Now listen to this. God has a plan for your life. Specific, that you come to know him, live for him, serve him, and then live with him forever. That's his plan. God has a plan for this world. Now we know that our world is devolving as we get closer to the end. We know that Bible prophecy has told us specifically what's happening. So don't get all trumpulous and, and, and panic-stricken. God has a plan for this world. His plans are on schedule. His plan was to send his son to die for the sins of the world. Now, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad John 3.16 just boom, boom, boom resonates in our hearts? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And remember, God is working out all things according to the counsel of his will, not my will. His will, not my will. God is working out his plan. God is working out his plan. And I would suggest this to you. It would be good to cooperate with God in his plan for you. It would be good for that to happen. Now, you may not like or understand God's plan. Anybody ever complain to God? Anybody ever say, God, are you, are you sure you know what you're doing with this? I got this situation. Are you sure you're right on with this one, God? Listen to this. Whenever you question God, remember, you are not God. You are not God. And, and when you get feisty with God, 
When you think that you're going to give God a piece of your mind, remember this. It'll come up on the screen. Your arms, you have little alligator arms, and your arms are too short to box with God. Now, Muhammad Ali is boom, boom, and you're like this with God. Okay? This is this be God's arms. This is your arms. Okay? Your arms are too short to box with God. Learn that right quick. He's in charge, not us. We see dimly, God sees perfectly. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. It'll come up on this, this, this mirror. For now we see but a poor reflection, only a reflection is in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully as I am fully known. See, we make decisions about God on a peephole. We're a little peephole. We're making all these accusations about God. You should have done it this way. You should have done it that way. No, God knows what he's doing. We are an offense to God when we think our way is better than his way. When we have a me moment, and folks, that's something innate to humanity, me moments. Me knows more. This is what you ought to do, God. Me knows more. Remember, Peter, God's will is best for your life. I can rest in this truth. Now, I don't understand a lot of things that God does. He gives you something wonderful. Wonderful. He gives you the right, the privilege to boldly approach the throne of grace with your petitions. Remember Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain grace and obtain mercy and find grace in our times of trouble. Now that word boldly is parisia. And that's significant. That's because I can come before God and I can say what's on my mind without fear of retribution, without fear of being rejected, I am a child of God. I have a right to become before my Abba, my daddy, with my petitions. And I can tell you, you come before God with your petitions, you will leave realizing that God is in charge. God knows what he's doing, and I can rest in that. That's how you leave. The cure for a Peter moment is this. Rest in the fact that God is God and I am not. That's simple. Now, the disciples, are they're going to have a moment. The disciples are going to have a moment, 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, I want you to think about how people feel today when they come to follow Jesus. This is kind of like, this is extemporary. This isn't in my notes, so get ready. Never know what's coming out. But I want you to think about this. Most people believe that if I follow Jesus, my life is going to be perfect. Everything is going to be all right, A-okay, and you have segments of Christendom that affirm this to you. Oh, you're going to have everything. Health, wealth, benefits, everything is going to be flowing into your laps, folks. Jesus said, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Daily is in Luke. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. That's not popular. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Great question. Settle this in your mind. 
just put this indelibly in your mind. It will cost you to follow Jesus. It will cost you to follow Jesus. Your will, your way, your desires. If anyone desires to come after me, this is for disciples of Christ only. Watch what he says. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now look it. Most people don't want to deny themselves anything. Nothing. Zero. But this is an imperative. This is a first class, and it is so. Take up your cross, follow me, deny yourself. Now, what does it mean to deny yourself or take up your cross? The cross is this. It's a picture of death. I believe Jesus is inviting his disciples to die to the self-life. My will, my way, daily. Not just daily. Moment by moment by moment in your day. Die to the self-life. Now, this is a call for disciples. I have a question for you. What is a disciple? Who is a disciple? Well, the word is mathetes, and it means a learner, a pupil, one who accepts the instruction of the teacher and makes it their rule of conduct. A disciple becomes like the teacher, and that is what Scripture says. We're to be conformed to the likeness of Christ, become more and more like Christ, less like us. That's discipleship. That's discipleship. Now, another question, and I bet some of you won't get this right. Are all disciples believers? <laughs> yeah. John 6, verse 66 says this. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. When the teaching got tough, when the Christian life became a little bit difficult, people bolt. It's too hard for me. Not all disciples are believers. How about this one? Are all believers disciples? No, they're not. No, many, be many believe and receive the gift of salvation. But folks, getting, when you receive, and receive the gift of salvation, that moment is termed born again. You're born, you're born again in the family of God. And when you're born again, you're born again as a baby. Now, what do babies demand? Complete attention. And we have a little picture here of the baby. Now, you notice that this dude wants all the attention. Now, you have a huge problem, and there's a problem in America today where most churches have baby teaching, teaching babies to stay babies. And when you have a church that's full of babies, you got a problem because those babies are all about them. And you're putting out fires here. You're putting out fires there. Babies, babies, babies all over the place. Too hard. And again, 2 Peter 3.18. And a lot of people want to remain babies. They're very content with being a baby. They're getting all the attention. They're getting everything that they want. 2 Peter 3.18 says this. Profound, profoundly. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus. God desires every believer to grow. Born again, great. Justification, great. Free from the penalty of sin. That happens the second you believe. But folks, sanctification is when you grow, maturing. No one is saved to remain a baby. God expects, expects you to grow. Not staying the same. Now the question is this, how does growth occur? How does growth occur? This isn't magic. What do those disciples have to do? 
embedded in that word disciple is discipline. So again, you're studying the word. You're engaged in God. You're, you're communicating with God. You're in prayer. That sort of thing. You yield to the Spirit's control. Now, I want to show you something here that I think is significant. And I've found my pointer. There is a difference in salvation and discipleship. It'll come up on the screen here. Some foundational di differences. At salvation, you believe in Jesus as your Savior. This is the baby level. This is entrance into the kingdom of God. But folks, discipleship costs you. Abide in Jesus. Obey him as Lord. Huge difference. When were you saved? When, you were not, when, you were, when did this occur? Salvation occurred when you were not saved. Come to me. Come to me. But discipleship is day by day after you're saved. Come after me. Follow me. Salvation, what's the result? Well, you're saved from your sins. But discipleship, the result is this. Made holy, become like Christ. Good works, obedience, fellowship with God. The cost for salvation it costs God everything, but costs you nothing. You believe and receive the gift. But discipleship could potentially cost you everything, even your life. And the frequency, salvation, when you see the, all these salvation verses, they're all in the aorist tense, occurred one time in the past. But discipleship occurs every day, day by day, as I give myself over to Jesus Christ. Big difference between being born again and being a disciple of Christ. The victorious life, the Christian life, and I believe the normal Christian life as described by Watchman Nee is the area of discipleship where you're growing, becoming more like Christ and less like you. Now, let me suggest this. We will not find baby Christians in some places. You know where you don't find them? In the persecuted church. If you're going through a lot in, in your life when you're experiencing persecution, that's usually a nudge to go further from being a baby becoming more mature. People don't become mature. People are very content with being babies. I don't know about you and your salvation experience. Babies get all the attention. Baby gets patted on the back. Baby gets all the pablum. Baby's at the center of the room. That sort of thing. There's no growth there. When you change from a baby into a mature Christian, something happened to you. And that something is some sort of persecution, difficulty, stress on your life. That's the impetus for change. Humans don't change when everything is just wonderful and terrific and you're the center of attention. When you have everything on the line, think about mature Christians transitioning, make that transition from baby to mature. When everything's on the line, your job, your family, your children, your life, babies won't stand. Babies won't mature will. Ask the persecuted church in Iran and Africa and China. Babies aren't standing there as they're giving their lives, losing things for the faith. Ask the early church where the early church were in Nero's circus dying, be eaten by lions, not recanting because they would not deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Babies don't do that. Babies don't do that. Ask the Western church where there's babies galore who few will stand against any opposition, let alone persecution. Now, look, we had a COVID outbreak. 
You know that, this really bad, awful flu cold that people got, and a lot of people died from it. But the, what they wanted to do is they wanted to keep certain things open, but close the church. And people gave in to that. They capitulated to that in mass, where most or some churches stayed closed for a year, 18 months, not meeting, not meeting together. There was a man. His name is James Coates. And he faced opposition. Now, his picture is going to come up on the screen here. This man had a church in Alberta, Canada. And he says, I can't close the church because I have a mandate from God that we do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. James Coates has a family that will come here. Now, his family, when he was thrown in jail for five weeks, was not allowed to talk to him, not allowed to see him, was not allowed to communicate with him in any way. Now, James Coates was not a murderer. He was not a rapist. He was not a thief. He was not the traditional thing that gets you thrown in jail. He was a follower of Jesus. These are his words. Watch what he says. I am not a political revolutionary before the courts. Pastor Coates said, I am simply here in obedience with Jesus Christ. It is obedience that put me at odds with the law, a Christian who stood for what he believed. It cost him. It cost him. Where you have other people just caving in and saying, we won't meet. Now, at first, it was, it was wise to not meet. Nobody knew what was going on. But as it evolved, it became more, more important in that time of stress that the body meet together. Now, you try to do it safely and separate and that whole thing. I would agree with that for sure. Uh, nobody wants to catch this stuff. Uh, but it was, it was not prudent to be shut down. But Trudeau in Canada enforced this. They put a fence around his church because the people kept going back to the church. Another elder got up and started preaching the next week, and they knew they couldn't stop it that way, so they put a barricade around the church. And then they started meeting from place to place to place like the early church. They would not be stopped. Babies go along to get along. Dying to the self-life is not easy peasy. Watch Jesus' words in verse 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whatever who loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus could not be more clear. It will cost you your life. It may cost you your life to follow Jesus. Denying Christ at the moment of truth is not an option. You know why the people went into Nero's circus and were ate by the lions and that sort of thing, lit up on the roads and burned as candles in Rome? The atrocity of atrocities. Matthew 10, 32. If, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. These people could not deny because of the words of Jesus. Hear the words of Paul in 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. It'll come up on the screen. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall live with him. Folks, that's, that's justification. The moment that you became a, a believer, the old man died. That's a picture in Romans 6.6. 6. The old man died. Now watch the next thing. If we endure, we shall 
reign with him. Folks, that's sanctification. That's going through the process of enduring all, whatever life throws at you. If we de- and then these words, if we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Folks, you must realize this. There is a promise that is given to you in Scripture that almost no one mentions or no one claims. Now, we have all kinds of people, I'm claiming that promise. I'm claiming that one right there. They don't claim this one, 2 Timothy 3.12. Those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, I'm not raising myself my arm for that one. I don't want to go through persecution, but folks, it may come. As our world changes, as it becomes more and more violent against the church, the true church, the, the regular church isn't affected by this because they're just, they're just chameleons blending with the world, welcoming in what the world wants. We can't. The true church will stand. The true church will speak the truth. The true church will speak the truth to counter the lies. It must. We're called to do that. This dying to self is not popular. What is popular is your best life now. You can have it all right here. Folks, if this is it, this is sad. If this is it, this is sad. Jesus asked every person this question. This is a Billy Graham question. Every Billy Graham crusade you ever go to. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And he would say it in such a way that it just pierced the hearts of people. He had a gift of evangelism. Spirit was used him mightily. Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Nothing, nothing, nothing. All the pleasures of this world, all the fun in the sun, wealth, power, fame, nothing, folks, is worth your soul. Nothing. Everything fades. By the way, when you're looking for the trinkets of this world, and you're thinking this is the most great, wonderful thing, I got my Lamborghini over here. In time, that Lamborghini is going to look like baloney. It's going to, it's going to, entropy, everything winds down. Your new house, just let the kids loose in there for about a week, and it becomes not new anymore. It, it's winding down. Entropy, everything's winding down, including you. So if you put your values in this world system where everything is deteriorating, folks, that's called a bad deal. We are not residents here. You know what the scripture says. We're aliens and strangers. We don't belong here. We're just passing through. As a matter of fact, Jesus has us in Jesus school preparing us for another place. Not here. It's the antithesis of here. It's a different place. That's why you don't feel like you fit in very well here. Why you feel like uh, the stresses and it's getting more difficult here as life changes. Jesus was giving his disciples a disciple moment. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, Jesus is going to have a glorious moment here in verse 27. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. This is talking about the second coming of Christ. Okay? Second coming of Christ. Jesus concludes with this glorious promise, his return. Now, why do you believe Jesus is returning? Okay, because he said so. And I have right here, 
It's just, it's just this simple. What Dave said, he told us. Right in my notes, what Dave said, he told me. <laughs> Jesus always tells us the truth, folks. I'm just kidding. I didn't have that there. But anyway, Jesus always tells us the truth. Jesus will come and he will reward the faithful. Now, what are you to do in the interim? What are you doing right now? Hopefully you're doing this. Watch church. Keep watch church. Matthew 24, 42 and verse 44. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. You also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Watch for the signs. Now look at, this is important. We are to watch for the signs leading up to his return. Do not, do not be caught sleeping. Do not be a lazy Christian, uninformed, ignorant. 2 Thessalonians 5, 6 says this. Let us not sleep as others are doing. 90% of the church doesn't study Bible prophecy. 27% of the book is prophecy. Most people want nothing to do with it. Can't understand it. Too hard. Folks, God has given us enough information to know what's coming. We might not have it all nailed down perfectly, but we're studying it and we're prepared for the king to come. That's what we're prepared for. Jesus holds every person responsible to know the signs of the times. Now he says to the, remember he said to those folks in Luke chapter 19, if you had known, if only you had known the time of your visitation, but now these things are hidden from you, it's too late. It's too late. Will there not be one stone left upon another because you did not know when I was coming back? That was the first. That was, that was when he came the first time. They ignored him as being the Messiah. He expects the same thing, particularly from his church. Folks, we have the book of Revelation, which is really an, an amalgamation, a, a compl compl complication, compilation of Old Testament prophets, what they said about, about the coming of Messiah. It's, it's all compiled in the book of Revelation. We are living in that time. Ignorance is no excuse. Pretending it's not true is no excuse. Now, you've seen these guys before, Harry Moe and Curley. I'm not here. I'm not seeing. This is the posture of the church. I, I'm not hearing the danger, danger, danger's coming. I'm not hearing it. Oh, speak the truth. Uh, me? No way. No way. This is the majority today. Pretending it's okay. Folks, it is not okay. If you're saved, it's great. It's saved, you know the signs of the times. If you're saved and you've studied this stuff, it's exciting. But if you are one that has not studied this, if you try to close your eyes and pretend it's not happening, that is foolish. That is foolish. Think about this. The true church is to be aware of the Antichrist and the false prophet. We are to be aware of them. Okay? Aware of it. But we are not looking for the Antichrist and the false prophet. Oh no, we are not looking for them. We are looking for whom? Him, Jesus, to return for his bride, the true church. Remember, you are the bride of Christ. That is your picture. You are the bride of Christ, and he's coming for you. And that bride is to watch and be ready. Watch and be ready. Watch what it says in Revelation 19.7. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
It has some information for us. Let us be glad and rejoice. I mean, that's an understatement. I mean, let's just scream and jump for joy and rejoice. Yes. And give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. You made herself ready. Wasn't made ready. You're, you come into the family. You are the bride of Christ because you believe, but you have done something while you have been believing. You've been watching. You've been watching. The bride is to be ready, watching, alert, always ready. Did not know when the bridegroom would come. Remember, five virgins, ready. Five virgins, no oil. We are to watch and be ready. To me, watching screams prepared, loyal, faithful, embedded in that, that is fidelity. The bride is to be faithful to the bridegroom while he's away, not flirting around with other gods, other suitors, faithful, faithful until he returns. And don't miss this. When he returns, then he'll reward each according to his works. Now, remember what, when you're rewarded, you're going to be rewarded at the Bema Seat Judgment. And we've talked about this before. I had several slides showing the Bema Seat and that whole thing. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that you'll find these. What do you judge for? You're judged for your works after salvation. Your works are value. Remember I, in, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourself. That is a gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast, but we are Christ's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. After you're saved, you are expected to work for the king, to be loyal to the bridegroom. There will be a judgment seat for the lost at the great white throne judgment, and they will be judged for their works, and they will be found inadequate, and they will end up in hell, the lake of fire forever. That's the tragedy. Rewards for service. Now, verse 28, a sneak peek at that glorious moment when Jesus will show who he really is. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, the disciples think, oh, goody, the king is coming. We're going to establish the kingdom. They were wrong. It was the Mount of Transfiguration he was talking about. So this sneak peek at the glorified Jesus is, and more of this next week, by the way. Now, who gets to see this? The inner circle. Peter, James, and John. Six days or so later, it's a seminal moment in their lives when they see Jesus' glory being displayed right before them. Now, in closing, some thoughts about moments. Moments. There are moments in life that are significant. Seminal moments that change life. And there was no moment more significant than our Lord dying on the cross, raising from the dead. That, folks, was the moment of moments for all of us. So the question is this. Why did Jesus have to die? Why was it so brutal? And why was he so rejected and hated? Remember this. Sin is egregious in the eyes of a holy God. It's not just a little mistake. It's not just a simple slip. 
Sin of any level is awful in the eyes of God. Sin requires something. That is the death penalty. The price had to be paid. Ezekiel 18.20, the soul that sins shall die. Very simple. Romans chapter 3 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 3.23. In 3.10, none righteous, no, not one. None that seeks after God. And then in 6.23, we see the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Romans 9, 10 verses 9 and 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that he has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth, you make confession unto salvation. Adam and Eve sinned, folks, and that sin was imputed to every, every human. Not fair. I didn't sin. Well, you weren't mankind's representative, and I guarantee you that you would have sinned at some point along the line and messed everything up. So don't get so heavy with Adam and Eve. Mankind was doomed because of sin. No way to be reconciled to God until God sent his son to die for the sins of the world. The only way it could be done, a perfect sacrifice. There was a perfect Adam. There had to be another perfect man. That had to be the man, God, that saved us from our sins, saved us from the self-life. God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. Now, a significant thing here that I think most people miss is we have been saved to salvation, to heaven. But folks, we have been saved from the wrath of God. Romans chapter 5 explains this perfectly. Romans chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. Much more having now been justified by his blood declared righteous by his blood, pure and holy and clean by his blood. It's the only way, his blood, no other way. Then he goes on to say, we shall be saved from wrath. That's orge, the wrath of God. We'll be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, every single human born into this world, is born an enemy of God. God loves the world, but you are born enemies separated from God. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, brought back into right relationship, how did that happen? Through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, will be saved by his life. Until you come into the family of God, you are an enemy of God. The moment you come into the family, you are a child of God. You are the bride of Christ. You are sons and daughters. You have an inheritance that is unbelievable. What a difference Jesus makes. What a difference. Adam's sin was credited to every single human. Folks, there's three imputations. It'll come up on the picture here. And what imputation means is credited to, credited to. Now, there's something here called federal headship. Adam, as the federal head, represented all humanity. When he sinned, his sin was credited to every human that ever lived. Had he passed the test, we wouldn't have been going through this. Now, just think about this. No COVID, no flus, no getting old. 
No arthritis. Wouldn't that just be terrific? Now, you don't know about that when you're 20s and 30s, but that comes. That's all part of the plan, all part of the misery. Yeah. Well, all that sin was passed on to mankind. Mankind's sin was placed on Jesus on the cross. All of our sins. And Jesus' righteousness is credited to every believer who puts their trust in Jesus. Folks, indelibly imprint this in your mind. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeks after God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's just that simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Couldn't be simpler. Jesus had a die for us moment. The greatest moment of all, folks. I want you to think about something before we close. Think about fulfilled prophecy. We mention this often here. But when you think about fulfilled prophecy, think about that as being a God moment. An only God moment. Now, this isn't, this isn't in your notes, so you have to listen to this. Jesus, the prophets predicted what Messiah would do 300 times. Now, what, what is prophecy? Something predicted in the past, hundreds of years prior, that came true in the future, just as predicted. There are 300 of these that it were prophesied, that Jesus fulfilled. 300. Now, at the day Jesus died, around his death, there were 27 that occurred. I'm going to give you eight of these. Eight. And it's significant. Eight is significant. You'll know why in just a second. Jesus had to die in Jerusalem, and he did. Now, people, that's no big deal. What's the big deal about that? It's fulfilled prophecy. He had to be betrayed by a friend, and he was, Judas. He had to be pierced. He couldn't have just died on the cross. They didn't bash his legs. He couldn't have any bones broken. He was stuck in the side. If he hadn't been stuck in the side, he wouldn't have been the Messiah. He had to be buried in a rich man's tomb, and he was, Joseph of Arimathea, just as it was prophesied. He had to be abandoned by his friends, and he was. And then think about this. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Not 15, not 45, not 60. The prophet said 30, and lo and behold, oh, Judas goes and gets the 30, just as prophesied. Who's orchestrating all of this? God. His hands and feet has to be pierced, and he had to die with thieves. Now, I want you to look at Peter Stoner said something. You're going to, one picture will come up here, and it is this. He calculated the chances of one person fulfilling eight specific prophecies. Now, a lot of you know this, but I think this is so impressive, it's worth going through again. And what he wanted to do was paint one silver dollar, and then the next picture will come up here, red. Now, these silver dollars, he would, he would cover the state of Texas to about two feet. Two feet of silver dollars in Texas, the entire state covered. Okay. Now, and again, you paint one of them red and then choose only one coin at random. He would have the same chance of finding the red coin in one try as those prophets had for accurately predicting those eight events hundreds of years before they happened. Folks. 
fulfilled prophecy guarantees you that you are on the right path. Jesus died. It was predicted. You can know that you know that you know that this is true. That's eight. There's 300 that were fulfilled by Jesus. 27 on the day that he died. That's an astounding thing. Now, I want you to think about your life in moments. Most life, and I think you'll admit this, is live day by day in the daily. It's so daily. You get up, you have your coffee, you go to work, you go through that whole routine, the grind of life. Life in a fallen world. Life in fallen bodies. Life in fallen workplaces. For us, folks, there are moments. Some good, some bad, and some ugly. But there will be moments. And think about this, and I think you'll agree with me. Moments when life doesn't make sense. Moments that are spectacular. I want you to think about the life of Peter. Peter had moments. He had spectacular moments with Jesus. He walked on water. He was, he was credited. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Oh, you're great, Peter. and Wonderful. But he, he had some bad moments. Moments when he was told to get behind Satan, you are an offense to me. We wanted to take over, his, do things his own way. He had three denials at the crucifixion of Jesus. Three times when he said, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. And three times when he was restored, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? And then three times he said, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter could find solace, and you can find solace in knowing that there are moments, moments when we let our Lord down, moments in our life that are disastrous and catastrophes, moments that you too can be restored to a relationship with God. Restored. You know, Roger used to say, uh, pastor in, in uh, Kalamazoo, God is a God of second chances. God is a God of startovers, folks. He is a master at startovers. Jesus tells Peter how he will die, how his death will glorify God. And yet he says, follow me. Follow me, Peter. Peter, the brash fisherman. Peter, the first one to speak. The Peter that had the courage to walk on water. Peter with the keys of the kingdom. Peter who would be in prison and beaten repeatedly. Peter who was told how he was going to die. He had the privilege of dying for his Lord. Crucified upside down. Because he wasn't worthy to be crucified right side up. Folks, we all have moments. And I would urge you to call these moments opportunities. Some good. Some bad. Some ugly. Opportunities that you can glorify your Lord. Moments are opportunities to shine for God. Remember, life is filled with moments. Take advantage of the opportunities. Take advantage of the opportunities. Jesus had a moment that changed the world. He died for us. Peter had a moment in his life. Some good, some bad. The disciples had moments. Some good, some bad. And you will have moments. Some good, some bad. Make your moments 
glorious moments for our Lord. Life is filled with opportunities to act different, act counter to the way that you normally act. Seize the moment. Now, there's going to be a couple pictures. There's going to be one picture that comes up here first. Talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Glorify God in the moment. It says this, in the happy moments, praise God. In the difficult moments, seek God. In the quiet moments, trust God. In every moment, thank God. And then the picture, seize the moment, folks. We are living in a life that is not easy. It's not easy being here. Let's be honest. This is, this is a difficult life. You have some respites from the trauma. You do. But then you know that something else is coming. It's the nature of life. It's the nature of life here in a fallen world. You have an opportunity to seize the moment in the good times, in the bad times, in the ugly times. Seize the moment. And with that, you have five seconds to get to here. And with that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, that you are gracious and you are merciful. I'm so grateful that you are slow to anger and abounding in love. I am so thankful that in my moments that I have had in my life, some good, some bad, and some ugly, that you have been gracious to me. You have not treated me as my sins deserve, nor repaid me according to my iniquities. And I'm grateful to you. And Lord, in the moments of my life, may I seize those moments and look at them as opportunities to bring glory and honor to your name. Help me to respond in a way that is pleasing to you and honoring to you. And uh, Lord, I just, I can't do that on my own. Admittedly, I am just a weak person. Anything good that comes out of me is because of your spirit living within me. And Lord, I ask, I ask you to help me to seize those moments and make them glorious for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.